Hi, this is Jack Griffin, City Manager here at the City of San Marcos. Welcome to the latest installment of the San Marcos City Podcast. Uh, so today we have sort of a two-part uh, podcast, uh, which will actually test our uh, still developing and hopefully improving uh, editing skills. Um, but uh, so the first part uh, is going to be a little interview uh, with our employee of the year here in the city of San Marcos. And then um, the second half of it the uh, will be the December update in terms of what's transpired business here and just sort of a general update on what's going on in the city here in the month of December. Uh, so with that, I uh, hope you enjoy both parts. And here's the first part with Amber Schmaltz, the city's employee of the year. Thanks. Uh, hi, Amber. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. Uh, thanks for thanks for willing, be willing to do the podcast with me. Um, looking forward to having you uh, describe for everybody uh, so all the amazing things that you did. Also, I'm sure with the help of tons of people over in the Parks and Recreation Department. Um, before we get to that, obviously, it's been a weird year um, for everybody, and uh, we haven't all seen each other very much. But we've tried to maintain some level of uh, consistency and normal, and so... Uh, I did want to mention that the, the departments did go through a nomination process. Uh, we called it COVID All-Stars instead of Employee of the Year. Um, so I kind of just wanted to walk through all of the folks who were nominated and say thanks to all the great work they did um, and uh, how deserving everybody is of, of, of being first nominated and also Employee of the Year and then talk with Amber a little bit about all the things that she did. So the list of uh, nominations across the city were Angelica Kufari Pagan in Finance Administration, Veronica Ramirez also in Finance Admin, Daniel Sorhan in Development Services, Van Ratcliffe in Development Services, Heather Todd and Jenny Duffy in Fire, Taylor Oshinsky in Public Works, or not Public Works, Parks and Recreation, sorry, Taylor, Jose Rodriguez in Public Works, and of course, Amber in Parks and Recreation. So Amber, um, you did a whole list of things. I got this like five-page list of all the great stuff that Amber's been involved with. Um, but I think that, you know, the key thing or the really important thing from a from the public's perspective is that you did a, um, you did a, most of the work in getting our day camps and Raggedy Ann and Andy stuff going uh, once we were allowed to do that by the various health orders. So why don't you take a few minutes, talk about those programs, how you did it, what you had to do to make those work, um, how the public reacted to it. I know from being in Civic Center how the parents were so happy to have those programs back. So why don't you take a couple minutes and tell us about those programs? Sure, definitely. It was Definitely a challenge at first trying to get things worked out. Um, our first program that we got to start with was our Adventure Day Camp, our summer camp program that started at the end of June. Basically, what we had to do was minimize the amount of participants coming back to the program. Usually, we would have 60 kids to a room at four different sites, equaling over 200 participants for the whole summer. Obviously, we couldn't do that. That's way too many. So we had to, following the guidelines, shorten it 
to 12 students per class. And um, part of the way that we got it to work was I set up a color-coded system for the parents to drop off so that they could walk down the hallway and the children could find their own classroom without having the parents having to come all the way in the building and linger in the hallways. And so what we did was turn each room into a color and that actually helped with the contract classes too when those started to go up and running. And then once everybody was able to find their rooms, we upped our cleaning. We got our CSOs, which is the camp safety officers. Um, we trained them on using the sprayers and had trainings on how to use the chemicals. And basically, in between every single thing that the kids did, we cleaned. And we trained all the staff on that. And there's a lot more cleaning than usual. <laughs> we, usually, we usually clean a lot because, I mean... Even not in a pandemic, kids are pretty messy, but that's the most part of it was just getting them in and out of the building in an orderly fashion, uh, keeping them in their same pods and not mixing the different kids with different leaders and just keeping everything real clean. Yeah, I remember talking to people over at the school district as they were getting ready to ramp up for first year, you know, the earlier grades of elementary school. And then later the protocols that were in place for them in terms of the, the cleaning of the rooms, it was, it's a daunting task. I mean, to to say, yeah, we did a lot of cleaning, but it was, you know, it's, it's no (laughs) joke. Yeah. It's a a joke and it's, it's, and you can't, you know, you had to be super careful to, you know, after doing it for a month, you still had to be just as diligent on that 30th exactly. day as the first day. Yeah. Especially now that we have our preschoolers and, you know, the older school age children were a little bit easier to manage, but the preschoolers are three and four year olds definitely are giving us a run for our money because they like to get their hands in everything. So <laughs> a little harder to keep uh, corralled together and off of each other. Yeah, but the staff here is awesome, and everybody's been really on it, so it's been going really well. Well, I think it's great, and, 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 and you know, I I really appreciate the effort that you and, and everybody in Parks and Recreation uh, have put into to that and all the stuff that, that you guys have been doing this year to um, to try and allow our residents to have some el- some. Uh, measure of of entertainment and recreation and, and all that kind of stuff because um, Amber and I were just talking before I hit the record button about you know a normal uneventful weekend but people needed to get out and they needed their kids to get out I mean I, I'm fortunate yeah. that my daughter's older and out of the house and so um, but for parents with young kids uh, or multiple school age kids having some options to enter, to you know not just have them play, but also, you know, work their minds a little bit um, because it's so important to kids to be able to do that. Um, So I I know that um, how appreciative um, the public, you know, was. And even though we couldn't, like you said, do the capacities we'd like to, um, I know hearing from council members, they were so pleased that we were able to put these programs and get them up and running. Um, Yeah. So thank you, you know, for all that. Um, But I don't want to just limit at that because – uh, uh, Darren, uh, in your department shared with me some of the other things that you did. And, um, I mean, you had your fingers in all of the COVID stuff, which is why you're employee <laughs> of the year. So, so you were, um, 
involved with some of the craft uh, and painting things that people were doing, picking up here at the parking lot. Yeah, for for folks who who had, you know work at city who don't come to Civic Center, um, I was I want to say it was weekly there for a while, but maybe it was pretty regularly. We had some level of people would do crafts and then come by, um, sort of a drive up and pick up. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? I know you also were delivering meals to seniors for a while, and you took a turn yep. as, took a turn as a ranger. That had to be fun, <laughs> especially. Did you do the yeah. ranger in the spring? Because that's when that's when uh, people were most uh, concerned yeah. about people on the trails and all that sort of stuff. So it was a little bit. Of yeah, a we were we were in the thick of it. Yeah, I think the parents were super grateful um, for the craft drive up thing. They, the smallest little thing, it was just one single craft in the bag, but they were just so happy to get out of their houses and have something to do. And they would get to pack their kids up in the car. And some of the kids that came through the drive through craft pickup were former students of mine. So it was really fun for them to just be like, hi, here's a craft. Thanks for being here. And we did that for several weeks. Um, so they, the parents were really, really grateful for that. And we've had parents posting pictures of the crafts that their kids made. And then they would wear the craft or bring the craft that they made the previous week to the next week to show us what they did. So it, it became, we started, I think, the first week we had about 75 participants. And by the sixth week doing it, we had about 275 wow. participants. Oh, that's amazing. So, that's great. Yeah. It was really cool. And then uh, one of my favorite odd jobs that I did in the very beginning of COVID was the senior meal delivery. I didn't anticipate that I would like that as much as I did, but um, the seniors were very grateful for us being there too. And I usually get to work with the opposite end, the little guys. So um, what they're doing over at the senior center is really nice. And I'm glad I got to be a part of that. The seniors were very appreciative of it. Um, the park rangers definitely have it the toughest. <laughs> Those people, especially in the beginning, were not very happy to yeah. see us come and telling them that they can't be out in the park. Um, I think everybody has gotten to be a little bit more understanding now. So I don't know that it's as difficult, but I'm not out there anymore. So I don't know that to be a fact. Um, all of the jobs, though, were really fun. Uh, it was fun to be a part of different things and see how other people work. And we're always talking about getting out there and finding out what other people in your department do. And that was just a really good opportunity to see that sure. firsthand. Yeah, I mean, the Ranger thing was tricky in the beginning because, um, as everybody remembers, you know, Parks were closed. Playgrounds were over. Well, playgrounds didn't open until what about two months ago, and then they yeah. technically closed for a day or two in the last couple of weeks, but they're open again. Um, but yeah, so you had, and and there was um, not that there's not people, uh, you know, obviously you know with concerns and fears about it now, uh, especially with case rates so high right now. But back then it was people knew so little about it. So you had the you had the people that were absolutely this. This is crazy closing the parks, and it was crazy how yeah. you open the parks and. Um, so yeah, being a ranger was, um, in that time period, we were getting pulled in both directions by, in, in extreme directions, uh, probably within the same 
half hour or so, or maybe yeah. in the same park when you visited. And I, and I do want to say on the, on the meals and I, and I appreciate you and everybody else who, who stepped up because when we had to, um, sort of slam the door closed on a lot of stuff very quickly, right? In March, when the, when the stay-at-home orders really came down hard, um, right. that was such a vulnerable population. There were so many people who rely on us to provide that um, that meal. Yeah. Um, and so uh, getting people out, um, getting food out to people who were um, obviously at the most riskiest category um, and also it was tricky uh, for us because we had lots of people, I, I turned away Oh, well, both council members and just public people wanting to volunteer to do it. Um, yeah. And we were like, no, we got to minimize the number of contacts. We want to try and we don't want to have 20 people out there delivering meals to people um, with all different people coming every different day. Um, right. Because you're trying to minimize them. So you guys just did a great job of, of stepping up and, and making sure that those folks were taken care of. I'm sure they really appreciate yeah, they it. Were, they were very grateful for it, too. It was a really, really fun rewarding thing that we got to be a part of. Yeah. So parks and, and it's recreation, still going, it's still happening. Yeah, and, and I think it's going to be for a while. I think that, you know, se- yeah. senior center, senior, you know, like our senior activity center, those are going to be the last places to open. I think even, even if, you know, the, the, the vaccine rollouts for the elderly population first, I still think that those, those congregate places where elderly people are, those are going to be the last places to reopen. So I think we're going to be, doing that meal delivery for, for quite a while. Um, yeah. so well, anyway, so, uh, once again, I, I just can't thank you and parks and recreation enough for everything you guys have done, uh, for our folks this year. I think your department has been sort of the front and center department in terms of the public interaction. Um, and the fact that I think, uh, Sam Marcos, uh, you haven't heard like you've heard in some places where there's been some, some testy exchanges and some, um, you know, maybe uncomfortable situations, just haven't heard those in San Marcos. And so that's certainly a testament to everything that Amber and everybody in parks and recreation did to, to try and make this as, as helpful and easy as possible in such a difficult situation. So Amber, thanks very much again for, uh, for doing what you did and congratulations again for employee of the year. And, uh, for doing the podcast and uh, look forward to a more normal year, hopefully early next year. Right. Yeah. Fingers crossed. That's thank right. you. All right. Thank you, Amber, very much. Take care. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Amber. Uh, thanks again to her for uh, joining me on the podcast and, and to all our staff um, who've uh, really tried, worked hard this year and, you know, just like everybody else, but worked hard this year uh, under difficult circumstances to, to ch- continue to tr- provide uh, as much as high quality public services as we can. Um, so with that, I wanted to uh, transition into um, sort of a brief update on uh, business uh, action here in the city in December uh, before we uh, sort of get into a little holiday hiatus. Uh, the city does close. Um, the office is down over the holidays, so uh, we'll close on December 24th, uh, which is Thursday of uh, that uh, Christmas Eve is on Thursday this year. So we'll close that day and then we won't reopen the office back up until uh, Monday, January 4th. And obviously we're operating the offices under a pretty skeleton crew at this point anyway. Um, If you have uh, issues um, that are more uh, important, obviously the fire department keeps operating normally. Um, 
but uh, if there's issues on the public work side, you can call those numbers that are available on the website. Uh, go onto our app and submit a concern, and we'll still we'll still have those crews available. Um, but but most of the office staff is is shut down for the holidays. <clears throat> so with that, excuse me there. Uh, move on to so the council had one uh, meeting in December on December eighth. There were um, a number of items on it. It was a pretty mild agenda, mostly routine stuff. Um, but there was one notable item, which I'll get to in a second. So we did approve the map for uh, Discovery Village South, which is a development off of what will be uh, the connection of Discovery Road from Craven to Twin Oaks uh, in the future. Uh, we canceled the second December meeting. Um, we did some stuff with respect to our uh, annual reporting on public facilities fees. Um, really boring item on our uh, investment policy. Sorry to my finance department about that, but it wasn't that exciting of an item. Um, some property issues within this University District North City area. And then uh, the big item on the agenda was uh, the council adopted the city's updated uh, climate action plan. So I'll talk about that. I won't get too much in the weeds. There's a ton of information available on the city's website on that subject, on this subject. Um, but I sort of give you the thumbnail sketch of, of what it entails. Um, so from a historical purpose perspective, the city adopted its uh, initial climate action plan as it was required to do back in 2013. Um, and that was in relation to a law that existed um, prior to then um, that set aside or set up the process by which cities uh, were required to have greenhouse gas emission plans, greenhouse climate action plans in place. And so we did ours in 2013. And then in the intervening years, there have been additional law passed at the state level, uh, some orders of the governor, um, that required uh, the city and other cities um, that were similarly situated um, when the plans, their current plans were adopted, given where the new law is to update those plans. And so uh, that's what we did. Um, the basic uh, requirement of the plan, um, SB 32, so Senate Bill 32, um, which um, came into place in 2000, I should know this, but it was, we started the revision effort in 2017, so it was prior to that. Um, <laughs> but uh, the Senate Bill 32 require established a midterm target to reduce statewide greenhouse gas emissions, greenhouse gas levels to 40 percent below 1990 levels by 2030, and so that's the essential framework by which cities um, have to figure out um, how to try to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And so the first piece of it is actually figuring out what your greenhouse gas emissions are. Um, and, you know, data is a little bit, doesn't really go back to 1990. So there's certain assumptions made. Um, so we use 2012 as our, as our inventory year. Um, and so we went, did those calculations, came up with what we think our greenhouse gas emissions were. Um, so that tells us where our baseline is. Um, and then, um, that gets us to where our target is. And, um, and so, and you have to, it gets complicated as anything like this does, um, where there's multiple governmental levels involved. Um, but there's assumptions made over what your total is as to what's your actual obligation at the local level, because your total has things, you know, we have a lot of pass through traffic on the freeway, um, that there's not a whole lot we can do about. There's other, uh, measures that are happening at the federal and state level that'll reduce, reduce things for everyone. So in the end, our target goal was um, about 82,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide is what uh, we were required to develop a plan to reduce our output by by 2030. Uh, so that's what the council was considering. 
Um, and the essentially the plan after it gets into all of, of that data analysis and what the target is, then you have to develop um, you know, what we call a series of measures um, that um, will get you there. Um, and, uh, and there's, uh, for us, there's dozen, there's a couple dozen of them. Um, and they focus in the transportation area, uh, in the energy area, in the water area, in um, waste management, um, and then other things like uh, increasing tree cover. It's called carbon sequestration. Um, so capturing it um, through vegetation and things like that. So um, I'm not going to go through all the measures in, in great detail. I think there's a couple um, that are interesting, and I don't want to say completely unique, but I think they're they're not as common in others. And I, and, and one of the things is obviously these things all come with a cost. Um, and so one of the things that we tried to do as um, to the extent that we could figure out ways to do it was to um, have some, have the money that's being spent actually be of benefit to the people who are spending it, which technically it's the city, but obviously it's really the taxpayers. So um, one of the measures that we had, it actually has a pretty good return on it in terms of the amount of greenhouse gases removed was we, um, we developed a program to provide grants for residents and businesses to install electric vehicle charging stations. Um, so I think that um, over the course of the plan, which gets implemented over the next uh, 10 years, um, so it doesn't all have to be funded if up front at once. Um, but we, we've in, uh, put in about $1,200,000 worth of grants that uh, we'll put the program together now that the plan's approved as to how to manage the program. But to provide grants to uh, both on the business and the residential side. On the residential side, it's it's really, you know, to try and encourage people to consider uh, changing their vehicle out to an electric vehicle. Um, on the business side, it's obviously to create um, public um, or at least available charging stations um, throughout the city. Uh, we also will require those sorts of things in new construction and what have you. So, so the grants won't be used for things that are going to be required as part of a new project, but they're for existing uh, development. Here's a number of other things um, that uh, that are in the plan. Um, uh, the city um, has had had hopes and plans um, for a long time to eventually develop and to implement an intra-city shuttle system. Um, so um, I could, you know, the idea would be that we would um, certainly in a post-pandemic situation when life feels like it's back to normal from a moving around and colleges and what have you are operating um, to put in some type of a um, sort of a mini bus shuttle system that helps people get around the city. Um, so that's one of the measures in it. And then I think the big, me- the biggest measure in ours as in everyone's, uh, all the cities is, is increasing the amount of renewable energy that's used within the grid. And so, um, we've, um, of our 82,000, a metric ton goal, uh, 34,000 of it is in that single item. So it's more than a third of uh, what we need to do. And so we're assuming uh, for the purposes of our plan that not, by the end of the 10 years, that 95% of the energy used in San Marcos comes from renewable sources. Um, and uh, there's a, um, that's a, that's a, it's an ambitious goal because a lot of other cities have a very similar goal and it's, there's a certainly a function of that power being actually available um, to be acquired and then used. Um, but um, that's the direction that certainly California is going. Um, so uh, we haven't decided the, the plan doesn't uh, call out the mechanism um, for how to get there. Uh, a lot of places um, 
do what's called CCA, community choice aggregation. Um, that's a fairly common methodology where uh, a city or a group of cities will get together and form essentially um, – it's like a utility, it's, um, but it's purchasing power. It's not necessarily producing power, but it could produce power. I mean, it depends on your, your situation, um, what's available to you in terms of resources and what have you. So a CCA can certainly produce power. But generally speaking, um, they're more focused on the purchase of power um, from either could be the current provider, in our case, SDG&E, or could be other providers of energy. Um, and so... Um, that's one of the options. There's probably other options available. Um, so our plan is not prescriptive uh, in terms of how to get there, um, but the, you know the important part is that you get there um, to the to the reduction number. And and so the mechanism I think um, is a little less important than the actual accomplishment. Um, and I think that you know as more cities do these plans and update their plans, the the options may increase or certainly change in terms of how to get there. Um, and, and you want to get there at the most cost-effective way because obviously the rate payers um, are going to be the ones footing whatever the bill is for the new power, whether it's more or less expensive. And, and you know, it's a commodity, so it does vary in price from time to time. And, um, you know, when, when it's very hot and dry, um, uh, you know, energy prices certainly on the spot market go up because demand for energy goes up. Um, so you want to, it's very, it can be a very complicated thing. Buying power, just like buying water is a very complicated thing. Um, so we want to be very thoughtful about it as a city and how we do it. Um, and, and, and do it. Hopefully, um, uh, the goal would be in the most cost effective way that meets the goals of the, of the climate action plan. So, um, that's the key piece of it. Um, so now the plan's been approved. Uh, the council earlier in the year had established a, uh, Climate Action Plan Implementation Working Group. Um, so if you'd be interested in serving on that, uh, we're accepting applications for that in all of our commissions. Um, we've extended the deadline to be next Wednesday, December 23rd. Um, so if you're interested in that, you can go on the city's website and see information about all the commissions uh, that have, uh, we're accepting applications and also the form uh, is available. Go to the city clerk's uh, portion of our website to find all that information. So that's pretty much the December uh, business. Uh, we don't have a second December meeting. We typically don't. Um, so that's nothing out of the ordinary this year. Um, and then obviously uh, we're still uh, as a city and as a region dealing with the increased caseload um, on the coronavirus, COVID-19 stuff. Um, there, you know, the, this week uh, there was, it's gotten a lot of play in the news. And so I'm assuming most people listening to the podcast know about it, but there was a, a court, uh, a spirit court judge in San Diego County issued an order that uh, essentially allowed restaurants and other types of businesses to um, operate more freely uh, than the current governor's orders in terms and county orders in terms of uh, no outdoor or indoor. Um, so that changes the dynamic quite a bit uh, from uh, that perspective and the enforcement side of it. So, um, I know there are uh, certainly going to be folks that have some concerns about seeing uh, restaurants open both indoors and outdoors, uh, at least as of uh, Friday uh, noontime on, I think, what's today, December 18th. Um, there's, uh, they're allowed to be open under that court order, and so there won't be any enforcement actions in those regards. Uh, so police and the county compliance teams will not be um, – dealing with any complaints in those areas that are related to that court order pending either additional court action or some other 
uh, governmental action. So I know it creates a little bit of a, of a tricky time for us in that regard. Um, but it is what it is. And so we all have to sort of adjust to it and, and make the best of it. Um, so obviously the caseload in San Marcos is rising just like everywhere else. Um, so as we head into the holidays, uh, you know, I think that um, there, there certainly seems to be a conventional wisdom forming that a lot of the growth in cases, whether it came out of Thanksgiving per se or just out of colder weather and more people in their houses more uh, together um, and uh, having the ability to, to spread the virus in, in that uh, feels like the conventionalism is certainly coalescing as that's the main cause of, of why the cases are increasing, not just in California, but pretty much everywhere. Um, and obviously, uh, there's a, there's a probably a flu season component to it, uh, as well, since it does act, uh, the virus, you know, does tend to act similar to a flu virus as well in terms, I would think of spread. So, um, please, uh, as you get into the holidays, do your best to, to do as much as you can outside. Don't gather with people from other, uh, households and families, try to minimize that as best you can. Um, and, uh, we certainly wish everyone a happy and safe holiday, uh, Doubt we'll have another podcast this year, but you never know um, uh, over the holidays whether we put another one together. But um, but everyone certainly here at the city wants, uh, wishes everyone here in San Marcos uh, a happy and, and healthy holiday season. And so with that, um, please take care, and we appreciate your listening. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, please do. If you know someone uh, that you think would be interested, please let them know and have them subscribe. And uh, – and if you have any suggestions or comments, please email us at podcast at sand-marcos.net, and we'd be happy to take a look at them. So with that, thanks again for listening, and we look forward to talking to you further down the road. Bye.